Hello, hello, welcome to the Drum the Stem podcast. My name is Blanca Novak, and we have impactful conversations with great minds to inspire change and spread passion for science. Today's and the very first guest in the Drum the Stem podcast is. Drum rolls, please. Critic Ramesh from Colorado, who was awarded first place at the world's largest international pre-college science competition, with over 1,800 students competing from more than 80 countries across the globe. Critic developed a machine learning technology for orthopedic surgeons, which helps them achieve significantly greater accuracy for screw placement during spinal surgery. He received the grand award of $75,000, and he also identifies himself as an aviation enthusiast, aspiring aeronautical engineer, programmer, 3D printing hobbyist, and propulsion nerd, which we are going to expand in our conversation. Hi, Critic. It's great to have you here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm sure by now a significant amount of the listeners are already familiar with your name. Now, the first question, well, it's going to sound like a typical science fair question, to be honest, but still, I get a touch on this. Can you tell us about your project? Yeah, so essentially, my project was that I developed a lifetime navigational system for spinal reconstruction surgery that eliminates the current system of navigation called the fluoroscope. And the reason being that fluoroscopy is, one, not very anatomically accurate. Um, There was a study done by... The department, the University of Minnesota's Department of Orthopedic Surgery, that the pedicle screw placement, which are the screws that actually go inside your spine, only had 76% accuracy. And in addition to that, they also found that the amount of radiation emitted by the fluoroscope was significant that it had physiological repercussions on both the patient and the surgical team. So to sort of mitigate this, what I tried to do was all I needed was a preoperative MRI or CT scan, and then I could actually predict spine biomechanics and then optimize the surgical approach. It sounds real cool. So you basically use machine learning with touch of virtual reality, right? Uh, Close, yeah. So machine learning and augmented reality. Okay, and before diving uh, deep in the project, I just want to touch on one thing. Uh, What is the connection between your award-winning design and, well, Shakira's hips don't lie? That's a great question. So I was playing this game on my Xbox, and essentially um, I was trying to figure out how the motion tracking system worked so that I could actually uh, get a better score on the game. And While I was sort of trying to do this, I was also looking at radiology because I was pretty interested in the subject. And I found that if you could apply the dynamic systems required for the motion tracking to radiology, then you could, in theory, actually have a navigation system. So Shakira's hips don't lie actually helped me figure out how to do spine surgery. This is so great. I just love the fact that it started with um, embracing a seemingly simple idea, which led to this breakthrough moment. And, you know, for this one, creativity is needed when you connect and synthesize things and you break out of established patterns and create something new, which you clearly did. So you you mentioned fluoroscopy. Um, What are the innovations or the advantages of your uh, product compared to what is used today? Yeah, so one is that they found that the anatomical accuracy for pedicle screw placements from fluoroscopy was only about 76% accurate, which is a pretty alarming number, right? Mm -hmm. Considering that 
we're putting screws in people's spines. So my algorithm actually increases the fidelity of these medical images because of the algorithm that I use, where it actually crosses MRI and CT scans um, in the initial training process to increase the overall understanding of medical processes. And as a result of that, um, I did a comparative analysis, and I had 98.6% anatomical accuracy after I validated with medical professionals. And then in addition to that, my error in precision was only 1.33 millimeters. Um, the two other algorithms that have currently been developed by uh, Harvard and Johns Hopkins universities are comparatively 9.9 millimeters and 12.4 millimeters. Wow, numbers don't lie, right? <laughs> Yeah, it truly revolutionizes the medical field with the um, real time analyzation that you use. And I was just reminded of uh, one thing. I saw the headset. If the headset is portable, can it be used outside of urban hospital settings? Yeah, that's the that's the hope is that I like to work in this field called frugal science. And essentially how that works is that um, the more zeros you the end of a product the less people that can get access to it mm. so a fluoroscopy device is anywhere between a hundred thousand to a quarter million dollars which is a very expensive device okay. and but the headset itself only costs about five thousand and it can use either mri or ct depending on what's available in that region so hopefully the the in practice what would happen is that you would have um, developing regions like India and Africa or just rural areas in, um, in developed countries that can use this device instead of fluoroscopy to perform these surgeries. It is truly economically sustainable as well and helps yes. those who don't have that access to, to those devices as well. So how do you see it evolve in the future? That's an excellent question. So while 1.33 millimeters... Um, is pretty good for um, spine surgery. It's actually not good enough for um, knees and hips. So it has um, many great applications yeah. in the future as well. Yeah, so if you increase the precision of the actual system so that it's within 0.4 millimeters, then you can actually use it for slightly more complicated surgeries like knees and hips. And while they are more anatomically complex, since they're moving components, like you obviously have to move your... Um, parts of your hip and your knees so that you can walk, the accuracy has to be greater. But um, that's more on the hardware side of things. But with the new HoloLens, which was recently released, um, it should be it should work better. Mm, this is just an amazing accomplishment, and congratulations again. And thank you. I, I'm sure everybody is curious, but what did it feel like walking up on stage? Oh, it was absolutely surreal. Um, it's like, you know, my parents used to show me, like, there's this morning show in the United States called, um, where they have someone over every Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And one of the interviewers back in 2012 was the kid that won the award that I did. And it was always, like, that was the goal for the longest amount of time, for almost, like, seven years now, is, like, watching that confetti fall on that person and when it finally happened to me it was like a dream come true I never thought like it was always a dream but I never thought it would be a reality so it's been incredibly humbling I can believe you and it's incredibly <laughs> humbling because you've already had the, the example set before yourself and you're the one who 
truly knows the diligent work, the long hours spent uh, working on that project behind your achievement. But I'm aware that in your case, that kind of determination is paired up with a contagious passion and enthusiasm for research science, which brought you forward. Yeah. So what was your competition experience like? Can you share some of the best moments you had during the week? Yeah, so the beautiful thing about the science fair is that you get to meet so many people that are just so like-minded and have the same drive for passion. And last year, um, in 2018, was actually my first time attending this fair. And it was pretty interesting because um, I thought it was going to be totally different from what it actually was and it was going to be way more competitive. But everyone there is incredibly friendly and they all love interacting with science the same way you do. And I think... One of my favorite experiences this year was, um, apart from the pin exchange where you exchange pins with other kids from all over the world, um, the mixer was really fun where you get to meet um, all these different, it's like a great concert for nerds. (laughs) (laughs) And it's pretty great because you get to meet all these different people and they're all these incredibly smart people just like dancing and having a great time with them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, I'm judging the like, while preparing for the project, the focus is on the competition part, but you got to have the experience as a whole, like making long-lasting friendships and being part of this awesome community and disrupting right. on the dance floor, as you mentioned. Yeah, and... I think that the, the people that organize this fair have done a really good job about trying to motivate the people in science and that by making it more about more than just a competition and more about collaboration that it really helps like foster people to do science in the future yes absolutely it's such an inspiring place to be and what message would you send to those entering the science fair next year spice them with um some tricks and tips perhaps um yeah i think that the first thing about um i think most people are pretty intimidated by judging and my first year I was too, but ultimately they're here to learn about your project and they're just as enthusiastic about science as you are. And I think that that has some real implications because it takes a lot of the stress off and um, learning to make it more like a conversation than a presentation is key. Um, You're communicating science and I think the most important part there is that it's so just try to enjoy it as much as you can, make new friends, um, definitely get people's contacts and focus on collaboration. Thank you. Those are some awesome tips. And um, now we are going to get to a segment called Getting to Know the Person Beyond the Project Board. So looking at the engagements you are involved in, I know this part of our conversation will be so interesting and inspiring part to listen to as well. While I was looking at all the things you do, I was reminded of one quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that one's philosophy is not best expressed in words, but it's best expressed in the choices one makes. And, you know, one can easily have discussions on the issues of poverty or helping those in need, but... If that's not backed up by actions, it's nothing more than mere words. However, in your conduct, I see the complete opposite attitude because you started a nonprofit organization called Empowering Rural India. And I'm curious, where does this admirable external focus stem from? You know, that's a really good question. Um, It's actually from a debate, which is also something that I compete in. 
um, we had a resolution that essentially stated that resolved um, developing na developed nations ought to help developing nations. And while the premise seems clear, like obviously countries that are better off should be helping countries that are developing. But one of the biggest arguments against that was that every time we provide developmental aid to these countries, we end up crippling them in the process, which is a pretty significant issue, is that by actually providing aid, we make them worse off. So what I wanted to do was actually that my parents told me about my dad, about how um, where his grandfather, my grandfather, and my dad went to a school and getting viable access to electricity is incredibly difficult in rural regions. And I realized that they don't have the same academic opportunities that I get in the United States because of that. So what I wanted to do was provide solar panels for these schools so that I provided sustainable solutions for helping these uh, children. And the way that it works is that when you add a solar panel, it's a one-time investment that lasts upwards of two decades and possibly past that if you keep it in good condition. And as a result of that, they can power their entire school without having to pay any electricity bills and it's renewable energy so as a result of that, you develop the infrastructure in that region. So whatever money that they save on not spending on the electricity bill, they can spend towards other parts of their school. Hmm. It is really impressive that you use these sustainable and renewable energy systems that I, I think that will eventually lead to improved um, success in schools across India. And also that you receive that kind of example in your life and that positive involvement from your family. Can you share what goals have you already met and what your vision is with the organization for the future? Yeah, um, another great question. So essentially, what we've already done is I've helped one school in India um, power, their, uh, power everything that they run completely off of renewable energy. And it doesn't require any significant maintenance apart from just making sure that debris is off of the actual panels. Um, so currently that school, we're trying to ensure that like hygiene is very important, especially like for women as they meet puberty, right? So, mm -hmm. um, whatever money that they've made through that, uh, through savings, uh, in the electricity bill has been put towards reconstructing and renovating the restrooms. Um, and then moving forward, there's another school in India that we're planning on helping and a different sustainable solution is that they required it's a place that goes through the middle of a forest. So these students have to wake up really early to get to school and then they come home really late. So it ultimately impacts their academic success. And as a result of that, we wanted to buy them a, a transportation vehicle so that everyone in that community can get to school at a convenient time and return at a convenient time so that they get more sleep and they ultimately don't have to wake up incredibly early. So you're tackling various issues and, and uh, different fields that's so great, including saving money from the energy solutions and also providing transportation. That's just really impressive. And, yeah, and I think what you, you've um, shared within the podcast, that it's a great encouragement that from what we have available or what we have a plan, we should bring the best we can out of. And it's, it's so crucial that every little act matters. So that's why I'm encouraging everyone who is listening that donating to the Empowering Rural India Foundation can be available on the bio of the Instagram account to help reach the goal. Uh, what's the goal right now? So we've, uh, it's currently set at 
ten thousand with the um, school. Um, so we finished the school with five thousand dollars, and then the next project where we wanted to buy the transportation system is ten thousand mm-hmm. approximated, and you still need to set up some of the fundraising systems. But the current GoFundMe would still go towards any donations currently would go towards that project. Plan that if you send me some photos of the schools you are helping, I can post it on the Insta story to inspire others to yeah, donate sure. whatever amounts they wish to. And yeah. I think that's just a very great um, organization, and um, it's so good that you reach out to others. And you know, we hear a lot of people say that actions speak louder than words, but few actually exercise that care. And it's inspiring that you saw the need and decided to actually do something about it. Thank you. Yeah, I really like. Um, I really do. Um, sort of my personality is more like dive into things head first. Mm-hmm. So um, that it was really nice to be able to help these people because one, you always you inherently get a self of self satisfaction, and it provided to a community that's given so much to my family. Hmm. It's, it's real nice to hear that. And I also know you are involved in helping others also by developing the website of the organization Help the Homeless Colorado, um, designing lightweight and versatile prosthetics for children, or tutoring middle schoolers on debate techniques. What motivates you to reach out to others in those ways as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that, like, it's hard for people to know how to help, right? Like, one of the biggest questions we ask is, how can I help? And um, I think that, especially for people in the STEM field, that we have a lot of ingenuity in the research that we do, and that finding the applications for it, we struggle with a little bit. And I definitely had that issue as well, but what I've learned over the course of this time is that like web development seems more like a commercial thing that you should be focused entirely on. But in reality, I found that web development, I can develop websites for many different organizations to increase the overall publicity. Mm-hmm. And that helps pretty significantly. And in association with that, what we also see is that you can use all these different studies that seem independent of each other for actually interdisciplinary systems that help a lot. Like you never think, um, a lot of people don't really make the connection between medicine and engineering, right? And that was the premise of this project and it's also the reason why we build prosthetics and that if you apply those lightweight mechanics that I learned from building, uh, with working with airplane wings, I can apply those same mechanics to building a prosthetic and it's lightweight now. That, that is what creativity is needed for, that you take one idea and then plant it in another field, in another soil, and it will blossom into something amazing, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think that one of the biggest things that I found is that, um, more related to debate, is that like we consistently think that these events are more just for competition but in reality they give us a lot of life skills like for mm-hmm. example science for teaches us a lot of fun <coughs> excuse me mm-hmm. fundamental yeah um, fundamental principles <coughs> for scientific research and convert um for like publishing papers or conducting high-level research and in debate it gives you a lot of fundamental skills for collaboration and also just public speaking body language and learning to use those skills is actually really important in science fairs and 
some people a lot of people overlook that and as a result when you mix the two you get a pretty great outcome Hmm. It's so true. Like uh, one can have an amazing project, but if you cannot communicate it, if you cannot transmit those ideas to reach the receptor, aka the judge, then uh, it's not going to be as effective. So definitely. And at a young age, they learn the fundamentals of debate and I'm sure that it will yield so many benefits for them in the future just to how to think critically, defend their point of view. And as you said, when they participate at a science fair, it's going to be so beneficial. Exactly. Um, and do you enjoy working with middle schoolers? Yeah, actually, it's a lot of fun. So I actually get compared. My personality is that I don't really like to take things very seriously. I think that I'm serious when it comes to trying to solve problems, but I don't think that you should be um, super serious all the time. So I love interacting with children because apparently my personality reflects theirs pretty well. So I love being able to communicate things in a very easy way and take complicated project or ideas and projects and try to break them down so that everyone can understand. And I think the best way to put that is um, Albert Einstein's quote about how if you uh, you can't explain something simply if you don't understand it well enough. And I think that being able to work with middle schoolers really challenges me to fully understand the concepts very well so that I explain complicated things to middle schoolers. It's so crazy that you mentioned this quote because um, as you were saying that if you cannot explain it to children, you don't understand it yourself. I was just reminded of the same thing because yeah, yeah, it's just so true because if you don't see the little particles, the little pixels, then you don't get the whole picture yourself. Yeah, and children can be so enthusiastic and such an inspiration. So I totally understand why you enjoy interacting with them. And um, what are some of the lessons you received during those experiences? Um, Some of the lessons that I have learned is, one, patience is key. um, And that goes for pretty much everything. (laughs) Um, You have to be patient and willing to um, really work with kids and really work with any problems that you're facing. And another thing that I feel like a lot of people overlook, which I think is incredibly crucial, is learning to make mistakes. And I think that making mistakes is very, very crucial. And that if you aren't willing to make mistakes, that you can't really succeed. Mm-hmm. And the premise behind that is that I think that you should make as many mistakes as possible, make as many little mistakes as possible so that you prevent the big ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is a higher percentage for success. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Like, I, There was no way that everything that I've developed for this project or any of the things that I've done previously, that they worked first try. It took hours and hours of just constantly failing to actually get a working product. And I think that a lot of people, um, it's discouraging when you don't get the results that you want. And while that's completely understandable, I think that when you start to really understand that these little mistakes are ultimately helping you get one step closer to the actual result that you want, that it's actually very encouraging. Hmm. Yeah, so we cannot omit um, mistakes in the scientific conduct, and that will lead you to, to the better results as well. That is for which I think courage is needed to not be discouraged by the roadblocks you face, but to move forward and to develop and grow and to um, move for that goal you've set before yourself. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think another sort of important thing is that, like, it's not about the award. Mm. Like, if you go in doing anything looking for the award, it's not that that's not the reason you should be doing it. And I think that finding if you don't have fun with your research or any like not even research, just anything that you do, if you're not fundamentally enjoying it, you're not going to appreciate all the things that went into it. So learning to actually enjoy yourself and have fun with it is honestly one of the most important things that you can do with any academic endeavor. That is so good. Like, of course, you spend a um, couple of minutes on stage, but you got to enjoy the whole process that led you to to be on that exactly. stage. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it's the it's like the iceberg analogy because we only see like 10% of the actual iceberg and everything else is underneath it. Like, um, like, yeah, being on stage is honestly one of the most incredible things that you can have. But I honestly do believe that the that everyone that even if you didn't make it on stage, that ultimately the, the things that you learned and the challenges that you faced doing your project were ultimately worth more than anything that you can receive in recognition. There is a quote, yeah. Yeah, work for a cause, not for applause. And yes. live life to express, yes. not to impress. That's a jingle, but it's so good yes. for in that situation. That's incredible. I really like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's so great that you... Um, preserve your humility while achieving something so great and you are focused on the next step to take and that's something that we can all learn from Thank um, you. so we're going to well figuratively and literally speaking as well fly to another destination because i know okay. that your previous works were involved in the field of aeronautics does your yes. future career choice involve that passion of yours so that's the funny thing is that um for almost like for as long as I can remember, I was like obsessed with aviation. Like everything around my room right now has like a plane in it or something aviation related. And I've done a lot of research regarding aviation and I really liked mechanical engineering and all of these things. But what happened was that I got really interested in medicine at the same time. So I was found between this duality between engineering and medicine. And Everyone was all, like, there was this common trend that I saw was that people saying, like, how did he go from, like, planes to spines? <laughs> um, and what happened was that actually there's a lot more in common than I expected. So in engineering, we have this thing called compliant systems. And essentially what that is, is that regular mechanics, you have, like, a hinge and two solid objects for them to rotate. But in compliant mechanisms, it's one flexible component that acts as a hinge or, like, the the mechanical part and surprisingly a wing functions on that behavior but so does a spine a spine is like multiple individual vertebrae sliding across each other so they act as a compliant mechanism so a lot of the the interest that i had in mechanical engineering and aviation actually transferred pretty well to the project that i did this year with spines and navigation systems and when I, in the future, essentially what I want to do is actually be able to interact with like the medical part of things and the engineering part because they're both two very nuanced fields that have a lot of room for growth. And since artificial intelligence and engineering and medicine are all very up-and-coming fields, that the conjunction between the three is going to have a lot of reperc positive repercussions in the future. 
Hmm. It's just so interesting that she combined those fields and found the connecting links between aviation and um, analyzing the spinal radiation. Are you going to choose multiple majors? How is it going to work? Yeah, so I love interdisciplinary sciences. I think the universities that I'm actually shooting for have multi-programs uh, that cater to both. Um, specifically, I'm interested in biomedical engineering, which is the category I also competed in, but it's also a field of study um, because it integrates a variety of different things with medicine, and it gives me the flexibility to look at both the computer science side and the computational side with the more physical realm of engineering and combining the two to ultimately create something for medicine. Mm. That's so great, and I'm sure you will excel in that field. You've already excelled, um, <laughs> but you. in the future as well. And there is, well, just a little bit of aviation, because I saw it in one of your bio that you identify yourself as a propulsion nerd. Is it yeah. a phrase you came up with? What does being one mean to you? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a really funny story. So um, my eighth grade um, science fair project was actually redesigning the jet engine to be impervious to foreign contaminants. So a lot of people in the in the EU might remember that um, there was a volcano that went off in Iceland that like grounded a significant number of flights because the engines couldn't handle all the particulates going through them. And in the United States, this one's probably a little bit more well known, is um, when Captain Sully Sullenberger landed the plane on the Hudson River and it was called the miracle on the Hudson. And essentially the reason for both of these was that foreign contaminants entered the engine and then it resulted in the plane crashing. So what I tried to do was redesign the engine so that you didn't have impervious foreign contaminants go through. And as a result of this, what I found was that um, I really liked engines and propulsion systems. So when I started that social media account, I was like, hmm, what did I call it? And I called it propulsion geek and then I lost the account so and then I named it propulsion nerd which has sounded a little bit better too <laughs> and then I think that anyone that's um one of the most common phrases in aviation that you'll see like on social media is called ave geek which is like aviation geek so I thought propulsion nerd uh similar thing uh same idea that's just so great. And um, honestly, I remember the volcano eruption. That was a huge thing in my country as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was like a huge event. But I really like the face propulsion nerd. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and you. you saved it in your bio. It's like a reminder of your past projects. Yeah, it is a reminder of my past projects. <laughs> um, and also, considering your hobbies, my face lit up when I got to know that you enjoy solving Rubik's Cube since it's a Hungarian invention. And I'm yeah. curious, what's your record? Erna Rubik. Um, yeah, I think my, you so know. My record is 18 seconds. Um, and I, I, so I've actually gone away from solving them for speed and then solved them for difficulty. But oh. when I used to solve for speed, I was 18 seconds and now I solve like different puzzles. So the most recent one I got, I think is a seven by seven. And then, um, I solve different cubes, like this thing called the mega minx, which is 12 sided. Um, there's the square one. And I have, like, an entire shelf just filled with Rubik's Cubes that are, like, all of different sizes and sorts. Wow. Can you provide a shot of your Rubik's Cubes collection? <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, this is so great. I cannot even imagine, like, a 7x7 Rubik's Cube. That must be huge. 
Uh, yeah, they're pretty big, and um, the centers get really small, and then the edges are big so that you can turn them a little bit better. Oh. And they're pretty, yeah, they're pretty cool. 18 seconds is actually really good comparing it to, I think that the record right now is 3.47 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, there are some people that have gotten incredibly good at them. Um, the average has been whittling down for quite a few years now, and it's like, I... It would take me more than three seconds to, to solve the first two two layers, and they solve the entire cube, which is like actually incredible. Yeah, they're just out of the world, honestly. It's just yeah. really not enough time to even, I don't know. Yeah, really process it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, process it. Um, I actually have an acquaintance of mine who solved it by taking out the individual pieces and then putting them <laughs> back together. Um, but for sure, that's the unofficial way to deal with it. Yes. <laughs> but that's a great hobby for sure. Yeah. And an other hobby of yours, I know that you like dancing around the house with pop music blaring. What are your favorite go-to power songs to jam to? Yeah, that's a good question. So I have like quite a few different playlists and I love listening to what my friends listen to too. Everything else is like a lot of pop music. Um, yeah, so anything on the top 40 list. Um, sometimes it's rap music if I need to stay awake. Um, yeah, a lot of different popular music, alternative rock. It's really across the board. Yes. Just depends on my just depends on my uh, mood. So you also follow the interdisciplinary approach in your music taste as well. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I also like pop music. And do you like Indian Bollywood music? I'm just curious. Yeah, I listen to that a lot too, and my parents love playing that in the car. That's great. Um, I'm just discovering the Bollywood um, songs, and um, yeah. <laughs> but they are so great. I just love the rhythm. They are very yeah, they're unique. very high energy <laughs> for sure. Yeah, being a pun enthusiast, um, I would like you to share some of your lines. But attention, I don't want them to be chemistry ones because they might get no reaction. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, I think my favorite, I think I love these things called bread puns, like puns about bread. Bread. So like, I really needed that, like kneading the bread. Um, I'm on a roll. <laughs> uh, That's a good one. Yeah, I love, yeah, I love puns. Um, I know there's a bunch of, uh, there's some like cheesy, there's, I love pickup lines too from chemistry. Like, um, if... Oh, oh, um, <laughs> there's like, if I could be any enzyme, I'd be helicase so that I can unzip your jeans. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, there's, awesome. <laughs> there's quite a few, there's quite a few ones that are pretty funny and I, I, I do like, I like quite a few science puns, bread puns and everything across the board. Actually, that's really funny that you brought it up because of the um, science fair um, with the Virginia group, we were actually discussing pickup lines um, related uh. to chemistry and um, there was one, I wish to be adonized so I could be paired up with you. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that that's also like genetically modified. Puns. Yeah, that's really funny. And I think it's just great to have these science memes. Yeah. They can just make, I don't know, studying or just processing the things you've studied so much more fun. Exactly. It just helps you remember them too. Yes. Yes. Creating jingles and, well, pickup lines. They could be used in other fields, but <laughs> that's outside of yeah. the classroom. <laughs> Definitely.
And um, yeah, so given the choice of anyone in the world, I'm curious, living today or in the past, whom would you want as a dinner guest and why? Huh. I think I would want Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. And I think Elon Musk has always been my idol. Like this man is so incredibly talented and smart and he's like really revolutionized pretty much every field at this point. And I'm just so inspired by him and I, I would love like meeting with him, talking about all the different things are doing and the boring company and try to get a flamethrower if I can. Wow. That would be a really interesting conversation. And <laughs> yeah. what would you have for dinner? Ooh. That's a good question. Um, I really like sushi and different... Uh, I love, like, all sorts of Japanese food. And I've, like, come to really grow upon it. I, it's really grown up, grown on me. I think I'd really like sushi. It's just, like, a great meal to have, like, conversations with. And, like, it also... It's, like, a good way to make fun of yourself. Because, like, even if you're good with chopsticks, which I've gotten, like, relatively good at, I still drop it sometimes. So <laughs> it's, like, it's always a nice, nice thing to have. Yeah, I know the struggle. Yeah, we... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not force or just stab the sushi on. That would be like a really improper <laughs> yeah. way to do it. But, um, well, looking at your achievements, having a dinner with Elon Musk is a possibility, actually. So <laughs> I hope it's going to happen for you. Hopefully. And, it's well, to, to wrap up, um, there is going to be a question I'll ask every guest. At first, okay. it, it might feel like a, a job interview question, to be honest, but... Despite its generic sounding, I think I'm positive that the answers will be so unique and will enrich the meaning of science to us. So, what does science mean to you? Good question. I think that science is probably best characterized by um, collaboration, having fun, and um, making stuff that ultimately benefits humankind because... Um, you, the best, I think the way that one of the keynote speakers put it last year was that the best ideas aren't done alone. There was like a room of people collaborating with each other and arguing. And I think that having fun along the way is also one of the most important things, as you've probably seen, is that like if you don't enjoy what you do, then there's really no purpose to doing it. And then obviously any sort of scientific discovery that we make ultimately has implications for how we help humanity in the future. Hmm. you've really summed it up that you gotta have fun you gotta have the passion and then also the teamwork because it makes the dream work so yeah exactly it was a really great closing uh, line to be honest and I was just pleased to have you here thank you for igniting the imagination of many spreading your passion for science and I just wish you more success in the future I'm sure we'll see you accomplishing many more great things in the future and I wish you all the best for your next adventures thank you so much it's been a pleasure talking to you it's been an excellent interview Thank you so much. It was so great to have you here. And to close up, uh, we are going to be available on Instagram. You can uh, find us on Drop the Stamp Podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Critic. And make sure to stay tuned for the next one.